morning. Hi, if I've not met you before, my name's Liz. I'm part of the staff and leadership team here at the church. How are you doing? God's been speaking to us this morning, hasn't he, already? I'm just loving what he's doing amongst us as a church at the moment. I feel like he's breathing on us, that our spiritual appetite and fervor for him is growing. And I just want to encourage you, if you felt God speak to you a few weeks ago, it was literally a throwaway comment really from Sean about being lukewarm, but I've spoken to numbers of people who said, that's me. I want to encourage you, get into the places and spaces where God's people are because you will catch more fire. You know, I think we need to be as much concerned about our spiritual health as we've been about our physical health over the last 20 months. We need to be in those places. Right, I'm excited about sharing Daniel with you today. We are in Daniel chapter 2. But to catch up on the story, yeah, get out your Bibles if you've got them. I'm a big paper Bible fan. Um, I'm just going to catch us up on the story. Some of you might not have been with us the last couple of weeks and, or you've not read Daniel recently. So Daniel and his friends are living in exile in the city of Babylon. Now, Jerusalem was where God's people were based, but it was besieged. And so Daniel, along with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four young men, find themselves in the opulent, wealthy, vast, sophisticated city of Babylon, but it's also an um, anti-God city. Now, the exile actually was no surprise. We shouldn't be surprised by it. For years, the prophets prophesied for God's people to turn back to him. And they prophesied that if they didn't, that they would be removed from the land. Jeremiah 24 prophesies this about the good figs being exiled, but that actually God's eyes would be set upon them for their good. It's God who sends them into exile. If you look at verse 2 in chapter 1, it very clearly says that God delivers them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, last week, David brilliantly taught, uh, taught us and encouraged us to stand, take a stand for Jesus where we are, to resolve to live for his glory. And in chapter 1, right at the end, we see Daniel refuses to eat the food that's been presented to him. He won't defile himself. And he only wants to eat a diet of salad and water. And he's shown to be healthier and better in appearance, it says, than all the other young people who partook of the meat and the wine at the king's table. And I know for veggies amongst us, you love this scripture. It vindicates you. You can be healthier and better in appearance. For meat eaters, I'm sorry, it's in the Bible, so it must be true. But we are jumping into chapter two, and the characters we're meeting today, again, are Nebuchadnezzar. And what you need to know about him is he's angry, he's got a short fuse, and he's very powerful. Then we're going to meet Daniel and his three friends. So we're going to jump into verse one of chapter two. So it's going to come up behind me if you're in the room. If you're at home, I encourage you to dip into your Bible. So chapter two, verse one, and we're just going to dip in and out as I go through because it's a very long chapter. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. 
So here we have a case of King Nebuchadnezzar with insomnia. He can't sleep. But when he does sleep, his dreams are disturbing him. Now, why would such a powerful, wealthy, feared king have anything to be concerned about? Well, probably because he's powerful, wealthy, and feared. Because the higher you climb, the bigger you fall. The more you have, the more you've got to lose. And it's likely that it's this insecurity that is causing these dreams within Nebuchadnezzar. But it's also God, as we're going to see. And Nebuchadnezzar demands that the wise men, the counselors around him, not only tell him what the dream means, but actually what he dreamt. He wants to know the content as well as an interpretation. And none of the advisors can do that. Who can read anyone's mind? So because no one can do that, he mandates that he's going to chop all of his wise men, all of his counselors to pieces. He sends out an edict that he's going to kill them all. Now, Daniel and his friends are amongst this group of wise counselors. And when Daniel hears about this edict, he steps forward and says, I will tell the king not only what he dreamt, but what it also means. The next thing, he runs to his friends and asks them to pray. God answers his friend the prayer. He reveals the mystery of the dream. And then Daniel goes into Nebuchadnezzar and tells him his dream. And this is what he says. Verse 31 of chapter 2. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces, And became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar sees a statue. Its head is gold. Its chest and arms are silver. Its middle and thighs are bronze. Its legs and feet are iron and clay. And Daniel interprets the dream and says to Nebuchadnezzar, the gold represents you and your kingdom and the power and wealth. It's great and mighty. And following you will be subsequent kingdoms. But there is going to be a kingdom that will arise, that will one day smash all these kingdoms to pieces. It will be a kingdom that will never be destroyed It will never be overcome. It will stand forever and it is greater than any other kingdom. The king is overwhelmed by the accuracy of what Daniel tells him. And so he doesn't kill Daniel or the wise men. And right at the end of chapter 2, we see a moment of Nebuchadnezzar's humility that he acknowledges the greatness of Daniel's God. And then he elevates Daniel into a position of influence over Babylon. 
So that's the story that we are looking at. And the main theme of the book of Daniel is this, that despite what it looks like, God is in control. Despite what it looks like, God is in control. And as we look through Daniel, we'll see multiple situations where as a reader, we think, where are you, God? But despite what it looks like, God is in control. We need to hear that, don't we? Kingdoms will rise and they will fall and they may seem powerful, but a kingdom is coming and is already here that will never be overturned. That kingdom, that stone that is cut by no human hand is the kingdom of Jesus. And we today who live the other side of the cross know that it's a kingdom that is already here and not yet. We see evidence of it around us. Jesus said all the time, didn't he? The kingdom of God is near It's already here, but it's not yet. That's why we pray, your kingdom come. One day we won't need to pray that because it will be here. But it's partly here, but its fulfillment will only happen when Jesus returns. So confidently, Daniel teaches us, despite what it looks like, God is in control. Now, you remember if you were here when Andy introduced this series, that he reminded us that like Daniel... We are exiles in this land, this earth now. We are resident exiles. We reside here on earth, but we belong to another kingdom. We reside here. We live in Babylon, but actually our home is the kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. And so three things I just want us to observe from this chapter in Daniel about how he lived life and what we can learn from him as we live today in our Babylons. And the first is this, that Daniel knew God. I think Kat brought that scripture, didn't she? Know that the Lord is God. Daniel knew God. Nebuchadnezzar demanded that someone come and tell him what he dreamt, as well as what it meant. And it was Daniel, God's man, who volunteered to do that. If we read in verse 16 of chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, it says, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel stepped forward because Daniel knew God. He knew who he was. He knew what he was like, and so he was confident in him. It was that confidence that gave him the ability to step forward. And confidence in God is based on two questions that we need to answer. Can God and will God? Can God and will God? You see, Daniel knew that God could show him Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. After all, he knows when we sit, when we rise, he perceives our thoughts from afar. He knows everything about everyone. Daniel knew God could. Probably what's more astounding to you and I is that he had faith that God would show him Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. You see, asking whether God can do something is asking about his power Asking whether he will do something is a question of his love and his care. I'm sure many of us believe God can speak and can work miracles. 
I suspect the bigger question for most of us is, will he? And it's not a new question. A leper came to Jesus in Luke 5 and said, if you are willing, make me clean. Do you care, Jesus? Will you do that for me? And it's interesting that just a few verses later, do go and read Luke 5. He addresses the Pharisees as not only is he willing, but he's able. And he shows that by bringing healing, he's also able with the power to forgive sin. Go and read Luke 5. Can God, is he powerful enough? Will God, is he loving enough? Daniel puts his neck on the line because he totally is confident that God says yes to both of those questions. And we were challenged last week, weren't we, by David about whether we know what God expects of us. Do we know how God asks us to live as, as his people? And I want to say that the other side of that coin is, do we know God? Do we know what he's like? Do you know his heart for you, for your neighbor, for the Babylon that we live in? You know, I'm convinced Daniel wasn't some incredible man. He was just like you and me. He was weak. He was fearful. He was trembling because he was human. But he had faith in an incredible God. He knew he wasn't capable, but he was totally convinced that God was capable. Daniel knew God and he knew what he was like. And the question that we have to ask ourselves today is, do we, do you, do I know what God is like? Because actually it's men and women who are confident in God that are the ones who are bold, who risk, who step up, who step out. Our boldness for God is directly related to what we know of God. I'm convinced of that. Confidence in him breeds courage to step out for him. We know that's true, don't we, friends? We know that's true. So number one, Daniel knew God. Number two, Daniel lent into community. With the king's edict, Daniel's life is on the line and he volunteers to tell the king uh, what his dream was. He totally knows the magnitude of the situation. But what did he do next? Do you remember? He ran to his Babylon 4. We might have RFC 3s. Daniel had his Babylon 4. Three people, three friends that he knew would pray for him. Verse 17 says this, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the Hebrew names for Shabrach, Meshach, Abednego, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Back in the summer of this year, um, our family had a, a significant need. Our eldest daughter was getting married. During COVID, it meant we had to be outside in a garden. And the weather forecast for that day, particularly that she was getting married, was for more rain than I reckon the rest of the rain we've had for the whole year. 
Not that I'm bitter or anything about it. But um, that was the situation we knew was coming. And my RFC three, my two, uh, the other two women who I uh, speak with regularly, knew what the situation was. And that week, they prayed and prayed for us. They met together on several occasions, just the two of them, and prayed for us. And each day, they would send me texts of encouragement of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. They held us up in prayer when all I felt I could do was all the situation on the ground. Honestly, I was so humbled by the way they prayed for us and so, so grateful for them. Friends, who are your prayer buddies? Who are the people that you go to if you have need? Who are the people that know what's going on in your life if you need them to pray with and for you? Daniel lent into his friends. You know, in the Babylon world we live in, we need people who are going to hold our back in prayer. Perhaps you need to get involved in an RFC3. Maybe your RFC3 needs to go again with a fresh energy. God willing, you won't need prayer for uh, the mercy of a violent king behind you. But it may be that your peace is at the mercy of a difficult family situation. Maybe that your family is at the mercy of a financial crisis. It may be that your body is at the mercy of a rampant illness. Or maybe your soul at the mercy of an aggressive sin that is looming over you. Friends, we need one another. We need to hold one another. Even today, just hearing David there, Sujit saying, friend holding me up in prayer. At RFC3, it's as simple as two people asking two people, will they join you? They might say, no, go and find somebody else. We've got lots of resources on the website just to help you get going. You read the same Bible passage each day, and then through a WhatsApp group, you just comment what God has spoken to you about. If you can't find someone, I encourage you, contact Catherine in the office. She's very willingly said that she will help connect people. Try first, but if you can't, contact her. But we need to be building relationships to the point where we can call on one another. This is going on in my life. Will you pray? Daniel did it. We need to do it. And just one other thing. When someone asks you to pray for them, make sure you pray. When someone asks that for me, often I get that on the WhatsApp. I stop and I pray immediately. I tell you why, because I know I forget. So I stop and pray immediately and then I write it down. It's such a privilege to be asked, would you pray? We must be people who honor that request. Let's pray for people. Daniel knew God. Daniel lent into community. Come on, guys, let's get into RFC3s, into community. And finally, Daniel used what he had where God had placed him. Daniel used what he had where God had placed him. We're going to jump back into Daniel chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, just into verse 17, and I want to read this. Verse 17, God gave them, that's Daniel and his friends, learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So it's God that has gifted Daniel to understand the dreams, but it's Daniel that believes God can use him, even in exile. 
even in exile. Daniel is given the gift by God, but he then takes it and believes God can use him even in exile. Exile isn't Daniel's plan. He's never going to have planned for that. But God has placed him in Babylon. Daniel makes himself available for God to use him where he is. And I wonder, final challenge, what does it look like for us to live in expectation of God using us wherever, wherever we find ourselves? What does it look like for God to use us wherever we find ourselves? And I think it probably starts by A, realizing that our gift isn't tied to our vocation or our job and our role. It is not tied to those things. It is not dependent on the place or the time. And it's also appreciating that however God has gifted you, it isn't so that we can build our kingdoms. It's so that we can build God's kingdom. That's exactly what Sean read earlier about Jesus, about storing up a treasure in heaven. And I don't know about you, but don't you find it intriguing that Daniel's gifts aren't like job roles? They're not a vocation. They're not tied to something. They're more about character traits. They're about abilities that he's got. They can take into any situation. And it just seems that Daniel's focus was more about making himself to God than about the situation. Trusting that God would use whatever gift he'd given in that situation. Now, it's true that Nebuchadnezzar's violent threat probably was quite a sharp wake-up call to do something and remedy the situation. Their lives were under threat. But Daniel also would have known the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, well. He would have known what God had said. And back in Genesis 12, God promises that through the descendants of Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's God's promise that God's people are to be a blessing to all the nations across the whole earth. Daniel knows this mandate is on him because he is part of God's people. And I think we can be confident that Daniel stepped up because he's absolutely certain that he is part of that mission on God's, for God's people. To bless all the nations, irrelevant of where you are. That he knew as a descendant of Abraham, Abraham he was to bring and demonstrate the rule of God wherever he found himself. I just want to read this quote, quote by a guy called Christopher Wright. It is so brilliant. Lean in. The Bible renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people in their engagement with God's world for the sake of the whole of God's creation. I want to read it again. The Bible, that's the whole of the Bible, renders to us the story of God's mission through God's people in their engagement with God's world 
for the sake of, not just you and me in this room, not just the church, but for the sake of the whole of God's creation. I think if Daniel had that in mind, he knew that his gifts weren't his, but God's. He was there ultimately to bless the world, to bless Babylon. I wonder, as you live each week, what has God gifted you with that you are to bring to bless your Babylon with? What's God gifted you to bring blessing to the world that you inhabit? What has God gifted you with to further his mission, to demonstrate his rule, to bring God's world for the benefit of the whole of God's creation? Just like Daniel, I'm talking less about your job role. That's great. But it's more about the gifts that he's given you in your character, in your abilities. And if you're struggling to work out what they are, think about what you find yourself doing wherever you are. What do you find yourself doing wherever you are? Perhaps you always notice the person on the edge, who's on the edge of life group or on the edge of the office or on the edge at the school gate. Maybe God's given you the gift of shepherding or compassion or encouragement. Do that wherever you find yourself. God's mission to God's world. Maybe you find yourself always wanting to organize people and situations. The inefficient queue at Asda, you just want to sort it out. Maybe God's given you the gift of strategy, administration, leadership. Maybe you realize that you're always the last person to leave somewhere and so willingly washing up the last cups, clearing up the living room in the shared house you live. Maybe God's given you the gift of service. You know, you and I are saved into God's family to bless the families of the earth, to bless the Babylons that we live in, to bless the nations, to demonstrate the rule of Christ wherever we find ourselves. And I want to encourage you, like Daniel, work out how he's gifted you. And then make yourself available to be used wherever you find yourself. From the trivial places of standing in a queue at Sainsbury's to the grand place of being speaker at an office event, maybe. I don't know. Wherever he's placed yourself, in your home with your children, at the school gate, in your lecture hall, in the places that you reside, bring God's kingdom. God's gifts have been given to us not to enlarge our world but to see his mission accomplished, to see his kingdom grow wherever we are. You know, Daniel knew God. He lent into community and he used what he was given where he was placed. And as I look at Daniel and how he conducted himself in Babylon, I see a man of courage and confidence because he knew the God that he was serving I see a man who was humble. He asked his friends to pray for him because he knew he was in desperate need. And I see a man who was faithful with what God had given him, bringing whatever he had, what had been placed in his hands to bless the nations because he knew that was the call for him. 
But he reminds me of another man. A man who courageously and confidently, resolutely set out for the cross because he knew his father and what that his father would and could bring healing to the nations through his death and resurrection. He reminds me of a man who in his hour of need went to his friends and asked them to watch and pray with him. He reminds me of a man who lived as an exile on this earth where God had placed him and served so that he might be a blessing to all the nations. Let's pray. Jesus, it always ends and starts with you. And as we look at Daniel, we see, Jesus, you are the greater Daniel. Thank you for Daniel's obedience, his faithfulness, his trust in you. He motivates us. Oh, how we want to be those that, like Daniel, know you. How we want to be those who humbly lean into community, recognizing our need and that you do answer prayer. How we want to be those who bring whatever you've gifted us into the places that we serve. Jesus, we ask, would you use us? We want to be part of your mission. I pray even this week you remind us as our thoughts turn towards selfish gain, we ask that our eyes would be turned towards you, that we would want to see your kingdom come, your will done in the Babylons that we inhabit. We humbly come before you and ask, do in us what we cannot do ourselves, but for you breathing on us. We ask, Holy Spirit, keep breathing on us that we too might be those who are good news, bringing the rule and demonstrating your kingdom wherever we go. We pray this for the glory of your name, but boy, for our benefit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.